Hello to all my underlings and apostles. It's beautiful, anonymous, one hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one, I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Chris Gethard here. Welcome to an episode of Beautiful Anonymous. It's going to blow your mind. I think this one might go down as an all-time classic. This is humanity in real time unfolding. I think if you're a newer listener to the show, it's going to be pretty gripping. And if you've been listening for a while, it's going to make your jaw drop. Because this is, if I remember right, the third time that someone who's gotten through on the phones before randomly gets through again. And wow, does it feel meant to be because this story went in a whole number of directions. You may remember a year ago, by the time we put this out, year and change, there's an episode called A Posh Perspective, a call that I remember fondly. Caller randomly gets back through. The memories are coming back to me. And then we start to realize this call is not just a follow-up. This caller has gone through some medical emergencies since their call aired that it is no exaggeration to say, put her really in the path of of imminent death. It's not an exaggeration. Say it was really bad. It was really bad. And the caller's girlfriend, who we'd heard a lot about in the prior call and, and came to know a little bit in passing, gets heavily involved in this call. It's really, it's really a call with the two of them at this point. And you're going to hear this is a call about navigating a medical emergency, about navigating the medical system about, I, I think there's some, some, some really, some stuff that I think is really going to hit home with a lot of people about class divide between the medical profession and, and those of us who are patients, how much that relates to doctors and medical professionals being just woefully overworked. In a lot of ways, it actually turns into a very real life love story. We talk a lot about it, about when you're in a situation and you have somebody who loves you and you have a situation where you need someone who loves you to step up to the plate and they do, that's a real life love story. And that's what this is. I spent the whole call kind of on my heels just going, wow, this is this has been a very real year in the caller's life since we last spoke. And thank God we're still on the phone right now, able to even have this conversation. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello? Hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can now, yes. Hello. Hi. I have a confession to make to start with. Okay. Um, We had a conversation almost exactly a year ago on this podcast. Oh, we did. And a lot has happened since then. And that's why I've called again, because my life went completely crazy. And now I have a lot to talk about. This is very, okay. I think this is the third time in the history of the show that someone's, because sometimes we'll do the follow-up calls and we'll say, let's do a follow-up and let's have yeah. Jared and Anita read, reach out. This is not that. I tweeted out a phone number. You have now randomly gotten through twice. Yes. Completely true. So my first question is, how does it feel to know that there are thousands of people who have been trying to get through once for five years who are who are mad that you've now gotten through twice? Um, I I mean, after the year I've had, I think I deserve some luck. Um, So I mean, I've just had a liver transplant. That's been my life this year. You Um, just had a liver transplant. Yeah, about five weeks ago. Okay, hold on, hold on. This that's amazing. First of all, I want to know everything about it. Um, I do, I do feel like I'm generally pretty good about remembering calls, but the, I'm uh, this is a little bit of a blind side. And you said, I mean, I, obviously, as, as you're saying, and I'm going, yeah, this is a person I've talked to before. Your last call, just remind me and the listeners yeah. what it was about. Uh, it was a posh perspective. Uh-huh. Uh, which uh-huh. I did find very funny after you named it because I said that my accent was really posh and I didn't like that. And you named it a posh perspective, which I found pretty hilarious. 
this is so funny. I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say yesterday. When I say yesterday, I was working, um, I was acting in a film and one of the crew members was from England and we were chatting a little bit. And I said, I have this podcast and there's become a running joke where anytime someone with uh, an English or British accent calls that we have a big game of how I can never tell who's posh and who's not and how people can tell what area of of the UK they're from and I never can. We we just were refer I was literally referencing you yesterday. See the universe has a weird way of doing crazy things sometimes, I guess. Wow. That's bonkers. But do you remember I was I was telling you about how I worked in the theater and some of my crazy theater stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and um I told you about the fat squirrel that was on my balcony. And about my mom throwing ice cream in my girlfriend's face. Yeah, the fat squirrel. Yeah, hi. Hey, what's up, fat squirrel? I don't mean to call you fat squirrel as a name. It's a pretty great nickname. (laughs) It's a pretty great nickname. Uh, Thank you. So it sounds like it's been a, a hell of a year. How are you feeling? You doing okay? Was yeah. the was the transplant successful? Is it is is everything going all right? Yeah, I mean the transplant itself was incredibly successful. Um I was able to come home ten days after the surgery. Um I only found out this week that my the muscle wall in my stomach wasn't closed. Um so I'll have to have another surgery at some point to get that closed up properly. Um but Otherwise, I'm I'm doing okay. Like recovery wise, I'm able to move around more like slowly. They're building up my strength. Um, but it's difficult mentally and physically going through the recovery process. Yeah, that's uh, I, I well, first off, it's very hard for me to recall every detail from the last one. We didn't. Okay, don't worry about it. I know you talk to many people. Yeah, but I'm like, I'm sitting here reviewing in my brain and I don't remember us talking about you needing a liver transplant, did we? This is all something that's happened since the last call? Yeah, I only found out about five months ago that I even had any problems with my liver. So what was going on there? So I... Yeah, sorry, my girlfriend's with me. She was saying, was it really only five months ago? Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, so I I had some weird kind of odd symptoms, like my my legs were swelling a little bit, and um, I was kind of breathless. And my girlfriend convinced me to go to the GP. Uh, that's the uh, the doctor who kind of does a general review before you get put into a specialist care. General mm-hmm. The general practitioner. General, yes, we have um, that as well. We have that as well. Yeah. Just, yeah, just explaining. Um, so I went to see the GP and eventually had a blood test. And then I got a call from the emergency out-of-hours doctor to say that my platelets were low. Um, I mean, very, very low, like 27. Um, and normal level is about 300. And platelets are what, um, I mean, maybe you know this, I don't know, but platelets help your blood to clot when you start bleeding. So I was told to go to the emergency department um, to have a platelet transfusion. And when I got there, they took a blood sample and then realized that my well, my, my blood wasn't right at all. <laughs> there were more things wrong with my blood than there were right. And one of the things that were wrong with my liver, my liver function basically was really bad. Um, then I was in hospital for, well, I've been in and out of hospital since March, um, trying to figure out what was going on with me. Um, which resulted in a liver biopsy. And the liver biopsy came back in April, which said that I had severe scarring on my liver, um, which caused a lot of tension in the portal hyper... Uh, I always get that wrong. Yeah, you know, I'll pass you to my, um, my girlfriend and explain. You go for it. So the liver was very strotic, meaning that a lot of scar tissue had built up in it. And... What that means for the blood flow is that it's very hard for blood to flow through the liver as effectively then there's a lot of vascular resistance. And then, so there's um, two blood vessels that go into the liver and one that comes out. And so one of them is actually, so it's the, it's portal vein hypertension is what referred to. One of them is actually a venous inflow and one is an arterial inflow. And then you have a venous outflow as well. 
So it basically backs up the portal vein. So it's called portal vein hypertension. Um, the pressure increases in it. And that causes a big domino effect of a whole lot of other issues. You want, you want, you want to go into it? Yeah. Well, first, first of all, that sounds scary. Second of all, is your girlfriend Irish? Yes, she is. Nailed it. <laughs> Finally nailed one. <laughs> Finally nailed yeah, one. Yeah, she, she's Irish. Um, Nailed it. So yeah, so and then <laughs> I'm proud of you, Chris. <laughs> Hold on, yeah, because I feel like we're kind of rushing back into your near death experience uh, that was saved with the transplant, and we're not really patting me on the back that finally, after five years, I have correctly guessed an accent related to someone in the England slash Ireland area, and that demonstrates growth on my part. So I'm just trying to, you know, let's just. I'm I'm I'm, I'm not even being sarcastic. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. And and also Irish, not even Northern Irish, because the Northern Irish one, I wouldn't, I, I, I yeah. mean, I, I'd only know it because it was indecipherable. Anyway, that sounds like a really intense thing to find out, out of the blue. So this is something that when we, when we spoke a year ago, none of this would ever have crossed your mind. And now you're sitting here and, and you and your girlfriend have intimate knowledge of like valves and platelets and all these things that have gone wrong and can go wrong. Yeah, exactly. And what what then happened was because I was I was then transferred to a, a specialist hospital, um, which is um, one of the one of the centres in the UK that do liver transplants, and I was transferred there, um, and that's kind of when I started to get worse, um, and then I started to experience what's called hepatic encephalopathy, and that's caused by basically a buildup of toxins in your blood because one of the liver's jobs is to remove that. Um, it kind of converts it and then it gets passed into your kidneys, which then filter it out and so on. But because my liver wasn't functioning, it didn't remove the ammonia, which is the toxin. Um, and so it traveled in my blood to my brain, um, which then causes basically full-on delirium. Um, and I have absolutely no memory of the acute, um, yeah, the episodes that I had, I have absolutely zero memory of them. And one of them, I last thing I remember is going to bed on Saturday evening, and my next memory is waking up in hospital on Tuesday morning, and I have absolutely zero memory of anything that happened in that period. Um, and you know, asking my girlfriend like, what was going on at that time. You know, I didn't really know where I was, sometimes who I was. Um, I was talking nonsense. Um, I was sleeping, like trying to sleep during the day and then being fully awake at night. Um, I was convinced that if I kept, you know, trying to straighten out the duvet um, cover on the bed, that it would stop me from being sleepy, which makes no sense. Um, I wasn't able to dress myself, go to the toilet myself, eat for myself. At one point, I didn't even know who my girlfriend was, um, which I can't. I mean, I can't even imagine how difficult that must have been for her. I was um, just gonna say, I'd love to, I'd love, so I, I, maybe also just before I pat myself on the back too hard because come back. Did we? Did I already know your girlfriend was Irish from last time? Did we discuss that? Yes. Yes, I knew. As soon as I'm sitting here patting myself on the back, I'm going. That was too easy. I, we talked about. I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> I retract my prior. I, I retract. I retract my prior self celebration. No, no I'm, I'm not letting you retract it because you still you still knew it, and even remembering that from a year is good. So. No, I, I'm telling you, I'm sitting here. I'm typing it. I keep notes in this little shared document, and Anita can see it too. And vouch me. I go that. I knew that. That was. I had a cheat sheet on that. That's so scary. Um, has your you just said that was one of my first thoughts was I can't imagine what it's like to see a loved one have a week, a weekend like that um, where they go to sleep yeah. as themselves and they wake up as someone else. Um, I don't know if your girlfriend wants to speak to that now, since we've already broken the seal on that, but that. Yeah. Um, are, you, are you happy to? Yeah. Yeah. I'll pass you over. Oh, so I'm on um, speaker right now. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Um, so I don't need to reiterate. So yeah, it was really scary. Um, so the first time it happened as well, um, and I, 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 as soon as I found out that she had um, cirrhosis, 
before we'd even got the confirmation that it was like the cause of the cirrhosis was autoimmune hepatitis. Um, I started looking into any complications associated with cirrhosis. And so I'd already kind of heard of hepatic encephalopathy, but I just, I didn't know it could just suddenly come on like that. Um, I thought it might be more of a gradual thing. So I, it wasn't even really on my radar. Um, and so she, yeah, she, she just woke up one morning uh, like that. And I could just tell that she wasn't like, she wasn't quite right. And then I don't know, she just continued to get worse. And so we, we, we don't have a, we don't have a car or anything like that. So I had to, and I didn't know, I didn't know if like she was in, cause she just started steroids as well, just to press her immune system because of, uh, because of, of the autoimmune hepatitis. So I didn't know if it was like a, re- a really odd reaction to the steroids either. So I just, I, I managed to basically herd her onto a bus. We took the bus to um, yes. our local hospital. Wow. And in a and Yeah. And I was just convinced. I was like, like something is really not right with her. And in the, in A&E, they said, which is the emergency department, um, they said that, like, the doctor, he was really nice and everything, but he was just, he said, look, she's only found out a few days ago that the diagnosis is autoimmune hepatitis. And she was starting to come out of it at this point as well. And, like, the first nurse, the nurse that we saw first, assumed that she was on drugs. Um, and I was trying to convince yeah, or drunk, which is hilarious because she has never, ironically, has never had a drink in her life. Um, uh, but she, but yeah, so she, the, the nurse was not very, yeah, not very nice. And then the doctor that we saw in the emergency department, he said, look, she's gone through, um, I, you don't know what she's gone through and I don't know what she's gone through and how stressful it would be to learn that you have autoimmune hepatitis. Um, and he basically just said it was an acute anxious response, which I knew was bullshit because I know her and I know what I know what kind of anxious responses she has. I know how she responds to things, and she would never, even though like it is unprecedented news. Like we'd already kind of expected that the diagnosis was autoimmune hepatitis, so we kind of had known for weeks at that point anyway, despite not getting the official diagnosis. So it was really, really frustrating. Um, so then, like the first time it happened, she she was starting to come out of it. But I think by the time the doctor had seen her, so that's why he didn't really take it seriously. So we were sent home again. Like they didn't even test for what they should have tested was ammonia levels. They didn't think to test that at all. So then she was vomiting for days afterwards um, until she had a clinic appointment, and they picked it up and they realized that um, you know, she was having issues. And, so, and then this happened like what two more times yeah no that was really scary um yeah it is I know, I, so yeah scary. i don't really know what to say yeah other than it, it was it was quite scary and i think i have a lot more um i kind of an understanding for like how heartbreaking it must be for a lot of families to like see a loved one you know for, for example go through something like dementia um like how yeah just how terrifying it is uh, because it's really isolating and lonely when they're when, when she was in a very bad episode. It, it was like she wasn't there. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's like um, it's one of those things where I feel like my I'm sitting here debating, and I bet a lot of listeners as well. Going, man, I don't even know which position scares me more to be in. To be the person who's suffering through the physical trauma of that or the, or the person next to that. Uh, uh, It's hard to even like, there's a part of me based on what you're describing, it goes, and I'm not wishing this on myself at all. There's a part of me sitting here going, just based on my family where I go, I would rather have, I'd rather have the liver. I'd rather be in the position of needing the liver transplant than seeing my wife suffer through that. That sounds so, uh, just oh my god to to see someone you love descend into that and then and then these doctors and I trust science and especially right now we got to be careful about anything that that casts shadows on on the idea of, of trusting science we I hope I hope the world is learning their lesson about that but we sit here we go we got to trust doctors but doctors got to trust us too and yeah doctors are 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 so overworked and busy and often 
there's like a, I would argue there's a classism in there, right? Of like, you've attained a certain degree. Being a doctor is a rarefied yeah. air. And sometimes people, you know, go, well, I'm in a, you know, whatever. I'm in a big rush or I've seen everything 10 times. So I know what I'm talking about. You don't. You sit here, you go, it does make you remember. First of all, anytime you find a doctor you do trust, you got to hang on to them and you got to shout to the hilltops about how good they are so that their superiors hear it and that the people you, you know you love know that there's a one you can trust and go see but anytime a doctor kind of rolls their eyes it sounds like it sounds like that type of thing that you could just kind of like your sounds like this doctor rolled his eyes and patted you on the head and said go on home who knows what this is and it's like that awful combination of like classism and probably some mansplaining in there it sounds like and it's just like ah uh, uh, every time a doctor. There are, there are two things I I want to to say to that. Yeah. Um, first thing is is what you said about how you'd rather be the person going through the, the liver transplant and going through the hepatic encephalopathy. Honestly, I agree with you completely. Um, I have throughout this whole process, I have always said that I feel like my girlfriend has had it harder than me because she's had to, you know, look after me whilst having a job and being alone in our flat and managing, updating all my friends, my family, everybody else. And also with the hepatic encephalopathy, I mean, I was probably there going through it, but I don't have any memory of it. And so even when I've seen recordings of me in, in that state, because my girlfriend did little videos of them to show the consultants, um, when I was able to actually see them, it's like watching my body being possessed by somebody I don't know. Let's pause there. One of the things that happens on the show sometimes is sometimes someone will say a sentence born of personal experience where you go, that's chilling and how real it is. It's real life. It's like watching my body being possessed by someone I don't know. What a scary thing to have gone through. Ooh. And I'll tell you what, there's more scary moments. There's more moments of triumph. There's more moments of connection, humanity. This one's got a lot more on it. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Thanks to our advertisers who allow this show to exist. Now let's get back to the phone call. When I was able to actually see them, it's like watching my body being possessed by somebody I don't know. Um, it's the only way I can explain it because I don't sound like myself at all. Even just looking at my eyes, it's like I'm not there. It's like someone else is inhabiting my body and doing things that I would, would never do. And in a way, it's almost for me a blessing that I don't remember any of the events. And then my girlfriend says the same thing. She says it was not a fun time and you're lucky that you don't remember it. But um, I'm acutely aware that she obviously does remember it. and was amazing and got me the care I needed every time this happened. Um, and she has been amazing throughout the whole process. Um, and I, I honestly, I can on heart think it's been harder for her than me. Um, and then in terms of the, the doctors, like with the NHS, I, I mean, I'm a massive supporter of the NHS. I think it's amazing. And I'm very lucky to have had, um, you know, the surgery that I had without having to pay for anything. Um, but the thing with the NHS and with the government that we have in the UK right now is that the NHS is so underfunded. Um, and, you know, like you said, all the staff there are, are really pushed. And um, that makes it difficult because they don't have the, the resources all the time sometimes to even deliver the care that maybe some of them even want to. And then when you go to a specialist hospital and there aren't that many hospitals in the UK that can do liver transplants, so the ones that do are very specialist. And I think sometimes they have this mentality. And this is just my experience. And I'm sure there are other people who would say they're complete opposite from me. But you meet some consultants on the ward rounds who you get this impression that they are so specialist in what they do that they sort of deem themselves on a higher level than you. And you're lucky that they are speaking to you. And some of them have this kind of attitude of importance. Um, self-importance. Oh yeah, self-importance. Um, but they're better than you, and they know all the answers, and you don't need to know anything. Um, and that's not always the case. I and mean, some of the doctors that I've seen have been absolutely fantastic, and I've 
but the ones I have had who have been amazing, like you said, I clung on to them and and they've helped me out immensely. But I've also had a situation where one consultant put me on a drug that almost damaged my kidneys completely. And that's not something that, honestly, obviously I wanted to happen. If you want me to tell that story. If you, if you want to tell that story, you can yeah. tell that story. So um, this was after, I don't know, was it your... Was it your second or third? Was your third? My third episode. Her third um, episode of hepatic encephalopathy. And um, basically, they tried a lot of immunosuppression. Oh, the second, okay. Because they tried a lot. Of, what's funny as well is that my memory is actually really bad. <laughs> because, and so then when, when memory was... was or, oh, I should have said her name, but we'll you'll have it. to cut that out. We'll bleep it. Yeah, but when her memory, when her memory was, was gone, because for, and it was... So she'd have an event of hepatic encephalopathy and it would go on, you know, for a day or two. But then for days afterwards, she would be, um, it would cause damage. Like she would, uh, her memory was, was good and her cognitive, she was, it was like everything was foggy. Um, and so she, she's the, the rememberer of our, of our, of our relationship, of our, she remembers things. She remembers dates. She remembers, you know, even at one point she had really bad hepatic encephalopathy and still managed to remember to tell me to pay the council tax. Um, and I, I am not the remember, but I don't know. I've gone, I've gone slightly off road. So that is a funny thought um, though, of like, Hey, I, I need you. We need to, can we please adjust the level of chemicals in her brain? Because I don't want to, I really don't want to get busted for not paying taxes. And this is, <laughs> this, she yeah. just keeps the date book. I had another, since I had another dark, darkly funny thought, and I wonder if you would both agree with this, is I think it's very funny in a very twisted way that you took a bus because I've, I've spent time in uh, England and I know for a fact that they have cabs and I'm fairly certain they have services like Uber and Lyft. And a lot of people might go, well, when you're having like an episode like this, get a car, but I have to. Can I just, well, let me say my joke first, which is that it reminds me of my mom's side of the family. It reminds me of my mom's Irish side of the family going, well, we're not going to spend extra money if something might be wrong. If I knew it was definitely wrong, I'll pay, I'll pay for a car. But if something might be wrong, my my mom was then saying to me, she was saying, just, just, just get a taxi back home. Don't, don't be going home in the dark on the bus and I'll, you know, when I'd be visiting, um, I'd be visiting and she'd be in really late because the visiting hours were six to eight. And so this is when it was still kind of getting dark quite early. Um, but yeah, I got the bus because <laughs> I couldn't, I tried calling a taxi and they weren't, they weren't, they weren't available for like another half hour. Got it. And I, I was just like, <laughs> I want her there as fast as possible. And I honestly, at, at that time, because I didn't know what was causing it, I didn't know if it was serious or if it wasn't. And um, I'd already been on the phone to NHS 111 and they they weren't too sure either. And so I just got the bus because I didn't, I, I felt bad calling an ambulance because I didn't know if I should. But then by the time she had her last episode, I, I just called an ambulance straight away and said, take us to this hospital. This is what's happening. And again, um, I know I'm making jokes here, but I can assume just from that sentence, and I know this is a divisive thing, uh, is your background Irish Catholic? Oh yes, of course. Because as of soon course. as you say, I believe well, I, have, that, I have plenty of Catholic guilt. <laughs> well, when you say the sentence of like, I didn't call the ambulance. I don't. Uh, I didn't want to call the ambulance. I didn't know if I should. This this strikes me as the Catholic guilt rearing. I don't want to bother the ambulance driver by saving my girlfriend's life if it's not really saving a life. I don't want to bother anybody. Yeah, that's very. This reminds yeah. me so much of my hanging out at my mom's house with my Irish grandparents. Anyway, I'll stop making jokes because this is scary stuff. So. But yeah, the doctor. I can actually segue quite well with that comment because um, my mom, uh, she was actually commenting the other day how um, I've been very outspoken um, in my girlfriend's care um, because I had to advocate for her when she couldn't for herself. And um, I, so this, it basically happened then that I had an argument with a really arrogant doctor um, in front of about, I think, at least, like, I think around eight his underlings, slash, you know, <laughs> um, underlings. Like, the reds, all, all of them, his underlings. 
his um you know his his, uh, his apostles. <laughs> but um, <laughs> and so it, he really hated that. But but I, I ended up being it. right. So this was God dang it. It's okay. We'll bleep it happened. again. We'll bleep it again. Yeah, I knew I should have come up with like I don't know a code name or something for it's maybe okay. fat squirrel. But um, <laughs> so yeah, so he she's just dying in the corner and it's really hard to laugh because she doesn't have functioning stomach muscles. Um, but anyway, so this, this doctor, he, he, no immunosuppression was working and he said that he wanted to try out, um, tacrolianus, which is, um, one of the commercial names for that drug is pro graph, literally pro graphs and grafts as in, for transplants, really. Um, it's a very powerful immunosuppressant. Um, and it, it is really only used in transplant situations. But they tried everything else and it hadn't worked. And her liver function was just kind of flatlining and plateaued and wasn't improving. But it was still kind of okay. And this is another side note as well. But she also has uh, sometimes renal release. She has renal tubular acidosis as well. For a while, a long time, it was suspected renal tubular acidosis, but um, and that's thought to be re- somewhat related to the autoimmune hepatitis. Like you can get both together. So she already had, like, she had, had like twelve kidney stones. Um, with, with, with like, so the first scan she ever had, they they found a whole lot of kidney stones and a whole lot of bumps on her liver, and I was just like, oh my god, wow, there's a lot going on there. Um, but. Yeah, so she, I knew, I was worried already about her kidneys, and I knew that tacrolimus, because I'd read up on it, um, could cause kidney damage and toxicity and things like that. And it's processed by your liver, it's metabolized by your liver. And she had a cirrhotic liver. And so there's no real way to know how, how, how well it will metabolize it. And I knew he was an arrogant asshole and that he wouldn't pay enough attention. And so he went ahead with, I argued with him in front of, all of the, I think all of, all of his people for like 45 minutes before, um, before I was like, you know, I just, I, was, I left it. Um, God dang it. But Leave I it again. Don't worry squirrel. about it. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. And there was like, there was three, three, uh, um, I think three different drugs that they could try, but tacrolimus was the one that he wanted to go with. Um, and they tried it and that was what caused her next hepatic encephalopathy episode and also she was still on treatment for her first hepatic encephalopathy episode that um that that treatment actually would have made her absorb even more of the tacrolimus which was a complete oversight in my opinion um and so yeah and so then she that that all led to all of that and she became severely dehydrated and had like an acute kidney injury and um but her kidneys bounce back fairly quickly. But um, yeah, so she has a lot going on. And then it was it was after that situation that I was assessed for transplants um, because they tried every drug possible and it hadn't worked. And I was put on the transplant list on the first of June, and I was told maybe like two or three days after that. Um, that I was going to be discharged on the um, 7th um, and, and that they weren't going to put me on any more drugs because they weren't working. And so it was basically like, your liver's not really working, but there's nothing more we can really do for you. We're going to let you go home um, and hopefully a liver will become available and you'll get the transplant. But it was kind of like good luck kind of thing, um, which was incredibly scary to hear. And then I was really lucky because on the 6th um, of June, I was told that I had been matched to a liver and I got the transplant on that day. Um, wow. So I was only on the waiting list for about five days. Because liver, if I remember right, and you would both know more than I do, like a, a kidney and a heart transplant, incredibly rare. Livers, am I wrong in remembering you can have a partial liver so there, it's a little bit easier to get. Yeah, you can have you can have the split liver um, transplant where 
one the right is it lob, lob, one lobe. Lobe. Yeah. yeah, so it's like the right lobe and the left lobe, and one lobe goes to one patient and the other lobe goes to the other. Um, but you have to have a a kidney, uh, not kidney, a liver that's in a very good condition to be able well, to do that. Type of surgery is more risky because obviously it is more. You know, the likelihood of a bleed or a clot or something like that is increased. Um, and as well, when you have a split liver, immediately afterwards, it's not going to be at the right size yet sometimes. So it might be somewhat small, but they do that a lot for um, transplants for kids because you, ca- you can't give them a full adult-sized liver. Yeah, and then you can also have um, a, a liver that's come from a patient who has become brain dead. Um, and then you can also have a liver from a, a patient who has a cardiac death. Um, and they're the other two types of graft. Do you, um, do you know donor, which one you had? Yeah, so my donor was a brain death donor, um, which meant that there was, a, there was no rush um, for me getting my, going into surgery because, you know, they, they were being kept alive on, a, on a vent. And that meant that the family um, were able to have some time with the their loved one before the liver was removed and taken to where I was. So I was told about 5.30 a.m. on that um, Sunday that the liver had been matched to me. And then I didn't go into surgery until 6 p.m. that evening. Um, so me, that indicates that the family had time with their loved one to say their goodbyes. And then the liver was then trans- well, transported to where I was. Um, and that, that really helped me mentally, um, after the transplant, kind of knowing that the family would have had that time because it's a very strange and difficult thing to process that somebody, even though I was incredibly lucky and I, I was able to have the transplant and it saved my life, somebody else died and mentally that's quite difficult to process initially. Um, especially when Later on in the process, I think it was about four days after my surgery, um, I was able to know the age and the sex of my donor. And, and that was incredibly emotional for obvious reasons, I'm sure. Um, and I can write to that family. Um, I've already prepared the card that I'm going to send. I haven't written in it yet because I'm not really in a mental place to write that you know, right now. Um, I don't know when I will or when I will send it, but I can write to that family and thank them. But something that I've kind of said throughout this whole process is that I will never be able to say I am happy that I had a liver transplant because I am acutely aware that somebody died and that there's a family out there who are grieving. And I can't be happy about that, but I am incredibly grateful. Um, And that's kind of what I say. That's amazing. What an amazing thing. And, and, you you know, you fill in the blanks of what you are describing. I also have to imagine too, that you must have thought about or must be aware, and I can't speak for a grieving family and I would never dare to, but I have to imagine that, like you said, that time gap lets you know they had a chance to say goodbye. This also means that there's a family out there where you probably represent a gift they were given in the sense of, the death of your loved one will save someone else. It, it will work towards a purpose that will probably allow you to feel more at peace with letting go and saying goodbye. That's, I'd have to imagine that's a, a gift for that family as well. Who knows? Can't speak for them, but I have to yeah. imagine that's a, that the fact that you're alive and on the phone with me right now probably is brings such peace to a family that lost someone that's amazing yeah and I I really hope that is the case and um something that I've always kind of said since then I mean I don't I don't know this person I don't know anything about them other than their age and their sex but you know I have their liver and I have a great deal of love for that person a complete stranger I don't know anything about them but I, I really do love them for that that right there, pause. That's one of the most powerful moments in the show. Everybody, make sure if you have the ability to be a donor, 
make sure you got that paperwork filled out make sure it says it on the back of your license however they do it where you live because we just heard how grateful people feel oh my god that was powerful stuff a lot more powerful stuff on the way we'll be right back no more commercials just show that's it now we just get back to just phone call just talking what the show is let's do it you know, I have spare liver and I have a great deal of love for that person. A complete stranger. I don't know anything about them, but I, I really do love them for that. And um, if there's anything that I want to do, I mean, I, I mentioned to you in my last call that I'm claiming to be a therapist and I wanted to help people who've been through trauma. And um, it's kind of ironic, really, considering I've been through my own trauma now and I had my own... Um, my own perspective on that and it's kind of funny because I kind of became the resident trauma therapist for a lot of people on the ward when I was in and out of hospital because you know the NHS they don't have the funding to have any therapists come talk to people so I, I kind of took it upon myself to speak with anybody who wanted to talk to me and that was really good but um I really hope that when I when I can write to the family and I can tell them a bit about me and who I am and what I want to do that I can be somebody that they are proud and happy that they, their loved ones say to me. And I, that's not like I'm putting pressure on myself to be like the best person in the world for the rest of my life. But I don't want them to be, to like regret that it was me. I want them to be happy that they saved somebody who, you know, I'm only 27 years old. Um, I have my whole life in front of me and I do want to be good and I want to help people and I hope that also brings some kind of comfort to them as well, in a way. That's, that is, that's a series of thoughts that I feel like a writer would sit down and brainstorm and not be able to come up with. And it's your reality of someone passed away. You have one of their organs. It's this massive gift to you. You hope that you can be a gift to them. You hope that you can prove the worth of that sacrifice by the way you live the rest of your life. That's, that's, that's one of the realest moments we've had on this show. Thank you. And I will always remember this person. And I mean, every, every time that, that date comes around every year, I will always think of them. And um, I'll be like, what's date was it? <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend is hot. <laughs> oh, this is why my love affair... Because I, I obsess a little bit over my background and I, and the Irish roll their eyes at Irish Americans, but it's things like that. Jumping in in the background of the emotional moment and going, and I'll be going, what date was it? That's the sense of humor I grew up around. That's my answer. My cousin's yeah. right there. Find the darkest shit to throw into the happiest moment. And let's get back to work. Now, <laughs> a couple things. Oh, God, that's making me that. Listen, I because I mean, if I call you fat, I can't refer to another human being as fat squirrel's girlfriend. It's just, it just sounds wrong. It I just, wish you would. I really just, wish you would. It just sounds wrong. I mean, but funny thing is, is, is that my my uh, because I I experienced a lot of muscle wastage um, because of my liver disease. My legs are really thin and like twiggy, but I have an extended like bloated stomach because of my liver transplant. So I kind of. You kind of look a bit like a fat squirrel, so you're Great. more than welcome to use that. Great. Fine. But here's the thing I bet you didn't expect when you got back through on the line, because you're both there together. And at the beginning of the call, your 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 girlfriend was just kind of helping to fill in some blanks. And then it became clear, oh, we should probably talk too. That unfolded very organically. Um, point being... In some ways, you're telling me like the story, the narrative of this year and these five months in particular, where this disaster struck. And it's that, that's the linear story. But also, it's very clear, this is a story about your relationship too, that maybe none of the three of us expected when you, when, when I, when you got on the line. But here's a question that, first of all, again, so much yep. admiration being expressed for the way your girlfriend handled things throughout this fat squirrel's girlfriend. Kudos to you. Hearing that you got into it with that doctor and advocated in a way you might not always advocate for yourself. And then here, and again, I just think of my, my grandmother who Anne Byrne about as Irish a name as you're going to find her nickname was Nancy. Only an Irish Catholic would have a nickname twice as long as her actual name. It takes longer to say, <laughs> um, 
but and the quietest woman you'd ever be around. But if you got her mad, yeah, she might in front of a group of people who work under you start referring to them as underlings and apostles and just make you live just quietly might just cut you off at the knees in a way that will make you just debilitated. And 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 that that anger and hearing it come out as you calling them the doctor's apostles and underlings, I love. But my question for you, fat squirrel, and I'm, I'm, yes. gonna, I'm going to use some language that's kind of glib, but I'm, it's, it's only because I think it's actually the most genuine way to say it is you go through something like this. You were vulnerable. You almost died. Someone else did die in the process of you, you know, bouncing back to, to, to full functioning. Um, you weren't with it. You have stretches you don't remember. When you realize that during one of those stretches, th- your girlfriend was having these types of conversations, when you kind yeah. of, does, does like the question sounds glib, but I don't think it is because it, it's a reflection of, I think what love really starts to mean when you find it with a person who's beyond like a, a, a love that cuts deeper. When you piece together all that, has your has your do you look at it and you go, man, my 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 hot Irish girlfriend has never been hotter in my eyes than right now? Because those are the types of things that go beyond anything physical, anything like that. Do you find that? Yeah, completely. I think um, something. I mean, in our relationship in general, we communicate all the time. We never keep anything from each other, and. Even if I tried to, she would know that I was not being honest because I'm not a very good actress and I can't hide how I'm feeling. And we communicate frequently all the time about everything. And when it's kind of happened, you know, in every step that's gone on, we've always been a team. And I would, I would always say this experience has happened to us. It hasn't happened just to me. It's both of us in different ways. And, you know, I've had a lot of the... Well, I had all of the physical sides of it. You know, I, there, like, like you said, there are times I don't remember and then there are times where I was completely out of it and times where I've completely relied on her. And I've also spent most of this year being apart from her because I was in hospital in most of May, to be honest, um, most of the end of April and then two weeks in March as well. Um, and so I wasn't with her. Um, other than when she could spare time from work to be there. Um, and then at the same time, you know, she's gone through the emotional side of having to, to care for me. And especially during those episodes when I was at home and completely out of it, she, I mean, I honestly have, I don't know how she did it. I, I don't know how I would react in that situation. Um, and I'm so incredibly thankful and proud of her for how she dealt with it at the same time as I mean she just started a new job literally at the same time that I was first in hospital and she had to manage that job whilst looking after me um and that can't have been easy for her either um but I think we both kind of come out of it thinking kind of knowing that we've been through the worst in the last four months five months and I don't think it's kind of hard to put into words. I think, but when when you've been through something like that and it's just made you stronger, it's kind of not that we weren't close to begin with because we've always been incredibly close. But I think there's that security there that we've been through something that's so difficult and we've come out of it. And I know that I can completely rely on her. Um, and at the same time, she knows that she can. She can she can be there for me and she has found the strength to advocate for me when it's been difficult. And, um, yeah, we, I think it's, it's brought us closer together and also changed us as people, um, in a good way. And yeah, I'm, I, I love her very, very much. And she has, I would say she has saved my life. That's my answer for you. Sorry, I like dipped out for most of that emotional speech because the doorbell rang. You have to um, be kidding me. But yeah, I, I would like to accept uh, <laughs> all of your side because I'm great. Um, 
but also <laughs> yeah I think we, we do have a really honest relationship and um I love her very much and um I think a lot of people you know said that like oh your relationship must be so strained and it must be so hard to do all of this stuff but um I think we just did communicate so well and that like it was never there was no other option for me than to just help you through it like there was nothing else I could do of course I did it yeah there there are times when I would lie there and at night by myself and think like I would I would feel bad because even though it's me that's going through this in a physical sense a lot of that got moved on to her in terms of her having to come in and advocate for me when doctors were doing things that were wrong and and you know there's always especially when you're not kind of with it in the way that I was there was a part of me that was kind of worried that she would just not be able to deal with it and just walk away um not that I ever like now that I have my cognition back I know that she would never do that but when you're kind of completely out of it and you're feeling a little bit crazy like I was I mean I was hallucinating that she was by my bed some night um I think there was one night where I was having a full-on conversation with her and then in the morning realized I've been talking to a drip stand the entire night and it wasn't actually her. A what um, stand? But I remember, uh, so the IV fluid, um, oh, big tall thing that they hang with the, got yeah, it. so I, I had a whole, con- I had a whole conversation with, with the drip stand one night and saying, you know, I'm putting you through so much emotional stress and if you want to leave me, you can go at night and stuff like this. And I, I don't know, I actually told you I, I said that. But um, I, there was also this song that I, I heard while I was in hospital that was saying it lyrics like these are the crazy days um, that we'll look back and smile on um, and like and these are the whatever it takes days and that really resonated with me because we didn't really have a choice we had to fight and I had to advocate for myself sometimes and she had to advocate for me but we did it as a team always and she never left my side ever yeah. I mean, physically yes but mentally never it's one of the it's one of i hate to be as cheesy as i'm about to be but you sit here you go that feeling of a partner whether it's a romantic partner a, a friend in your life a family member whoever it is that feeling of someone stepping up and getting your back as hard as happened in this case it's like, it's one of the only things that allows you to rationalize the pain, you know? Cause I know, and again, I, I haven't, and, and I hope, I hope I don't have, you know, a, 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 an organ fail. I'm not saying on that level, but I know the moments in my relationship with my wife where I realized she, she's had two different dreams where someone messaged me and she um, popped their eyes out of their skull with, with her thumbs <laughs> Which sounds crazy, oh, wow. but it's, it's so romantic when she told me about it. And I know there's a few incidents, one where she realized how into her I was before we even started dating, where I almost got in a fist fight on a dance floor with someone who got inappropriate with her. And and listen, people who listen to this show know that I got a lot of fight in me and I got the whole North Jersey thing, but I'm not a fighter, especially at this stage of my life. And a couple a couple times where I have been on her behalf, you go, oh, that's, that's a deeper level. And what a beautiful thing. And yeah. then I also have to say to, to fat to fat squirrel's girlfriend, you came in and went, I'll accept it because I'm great. And you're gonna listen back to this episode and hear how emotional that speech was, and your your heart's gonna melt a little bit and you're gonna go, Ah, shouldn't have been so glib because that was really beautiful stuff. No, no. I think as well, you, you know what the cast the Irish Catholic guilt, like I've I've gone through a lot of therapy to try and undo some of that, but there's still that kind of thing of don't go getting notions about yourself don't be oh. getting too arrogant now the head's getting a little bit too big but oh yes still, I know, still a little bit of that in the back of my head well because the, the problem yeah. with us the problem with the catholic guilt is it goes from don't get too big for your britches and instead what that turns into in our screwed up culture that we're raised with with this oppressive religion is don't ever accept praise for anything ever even exactly. in the slightest yeah so I've, I've learned to like now when people say oh my god you've done such a good job i just say yep Yes, I have. Listen, I people come up to, I'll go do live shows. People come up to me, they'll go, Chris, the, the, you know, beautiful anonymous fans, they'll go, you know, I heard this one episode and it really helped me in X, Y, and Z. And I'll just go, I'm just an idiot who picks up the phone. And I mean it. And they see it. And I watch it. I watch it break their heart that they go, oh, 
No, I'm telling you, it means something to me. And I'm going, oh, no, I was raised in a culture where I was raised to feel guilty because a man in the sky was judging me at all times. Sorry, can't accept your <laughs> praise. Um, I do have to ask, because this has been a beautiful call. First, first of all, so happy you're okay. So happy that the doctor's nonsense didn't make things worse um, or even worse. It sounds like they certainly didn't help at, at certain stages. Uh, and I'm, I'm so happy you're okay. And I'm, it, it's really beautiful to hear about how, you know, you got through this together. I do have to ask, and again, usually when we do the official follow-ups calls, we're able to listen back, take notes. Didn't have that luxury. I have to ask how the rest of your family reacted. Cause you mentioned your mom and the ice cream before, and I'm sitting here going, I don't remember all the details and correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I may be totally wrong and I will feel bad if I am. I might be wrong. Your, was your mom kind of a nightmare? Am I remembering that right? Yeah. So my, my mom, uh, she wasn't too happy. Um, when I came out as gay. Yes. And yes. She didn't like my girlfriend, uh, because as, as she has now had a proven track record of doing so, my girlfriend stood up for me. Um, at a time when I wasn't really able to do it for myself because of the other stuff. Um, and that was what caused the ice cream to be thrown in um, her face. It was, I think I did tell you it was because my mom had told me I had to get all my stuff out of the house. Right, right. Um, and I wasn't right. allowed to leave any of my stuff there. So we had, I had to move out really quickly. Right. And, um, I remember it being nightmares. Yeah. Okay, I'm not wrong on that. I was justified in saying that. No, you're okay. not wrong at all. You're not wrong. How has your family reacted during this past year and the uh, everything dealing with your liver? And has that, uh, it's an ice cream pun, has the relationship thawed at all? Well, for, for a start, my family now love my girlfriend, <laughs> which is uh, a bonus. I mean, they finally kind of realized, I mean, I think I mentioned it before, like for a long time, it was always, you know, I had just come out as gay and then... Um, I, because of what happened, I introduced, um, you know, my girlfriend to my family and the first time I was being authentic for myself. Um, and I'd spent a lot of my childhood kind of being the person my family wanted me to be. Um, and so a lot of people in my family said that my girlfriend had changed me and I wasn't the same person anymore. And but in a negative way, they, they wanted me to be the person I had pretended to be, um, and I was being myself and I was happy for the first time. And I didn't think they quite knew what to do with that. And so they said, oh, you're, this, this person has come along and has completely changed you and you're not the same person we used to know. And that was really hard. And I think they've now, now they've seen the level of support that she offers me and still does. I mean, I'm still in recovery. I still, you know, I can't walk around that easily. I'm still in bed all the time. And she still, you know, had a job and she's still being my carer. And looking after me and doing everything like when I need food or water or something, she has to help me get there and help me get changed and everything. And I think they finally realized that she she is a good person and not someone who's changed me to somebody I'm not who I wasn't. Um, and since that relationship has become better between like my my mum and my girlfriend, especially, they they've been in contact more. Um, my mum's made a real effort to kind of get to know her better and to be more present for me. Um, and, you know, during the surgery, my girlfriend was texting my mum and updating her on what was happening. And my mum has a great deal of respect for her now. And yeah, my mum's been amazing with me. She's, she comes over when my girlfriend has to go into work, um, stays with me. She comes to my um, appointments at the specialist hospital. I have to go every week to check that the liver is still functioning well, which thankfully it's doing really, really well. Um, there's no complications with anything right now, so everything's good. Um, but my mum has been coming with me. Um, I'm actually seeing my dad tonight. He's coming to visit me for an hour or so this evening. So um, that's been really nice because I hadn't really seen him in the last year because of the COVID situation. So um, I think it's quite emotional for him to see me and also after the whole transplant thing, you know, it's like an added emotional aspect of seeing him again. Hate to say it because it sounds like a truly terrifying 
experience and f- physically painful for you, terrifying for you, terrifying for your girlfriend, and it upended your life. But um, if it if it made your family kind of put the closed mindedness aside and say, "Look at who's stepping up and actually saving our daughter," yeah, not a bad side effect. Not yeah, a- and it's, it's interesting because I I haven't really spoken to. My, my either of my two aunts for such a long time and now I'm in contact with them again and um, I mean, one of my cousins who I haven't spoken to for 10 years has reached out to me and you know it's kind of crazy that it takes a liver transplant for a family to reconnect but I'm grateful to have those people back in my life again yeah I have one regret about this call because it's been an amazing I'm going to say all time classic I say all-time classic call. I have one regret. What's that? Which is, you know, we will bleep it because it's how the show works. But if there's if there's one thing that I'm... I mean, your girlfriend's been such a hero throughout this story. And if there's one thing yeah. I'm furious about, it's not once, not twice, but three times she did reveal. And I'll bleep it again when I say it just now. She revealed your name is unacceptable. Yeah. The, sh- the show has one rule. The show has one rule, Okay heroic girlfriend i just wish that if if we were you know in a different world i'd be able to go ahead and say that she's kind of the this story because some heroic behavior in here Uh right but we'll bleep that too we'll bleep that too so people can't figure out what that means no i i mean she she's gone um into the other room because my my dad has just arrived so she's gone to to kind of tell him that i I'll be with them in a minute. Um, you know, when the, I love when that. the call is finished. Where's my, where's my daughter? I haven't seen her in a year because of COVID and she almost died. Uh, um, she's on a phone call with a hipster American comedian. Um, oh, have I seen him in anything? <laughs> he was in the office. Oh, the American office. Weirdly, us Brits like that one better. Who did he play? Uh, you probably weren't still watching. It was after Carell left the show. It was two, two, two episodes. You can wait. Why don't you kick, up, kick your heels up and wait? I mean, it's just, it's just funny because you just mentioned how she's like, and she's literally gone out to like keep my dad occupied <laughs> until the call is finished. So she's performing more heroic duties for me at the moment, um, chatting with my dad and his his wife. Um, I have no idea what they're talking about, but <laughs> well, yeah, it is fun. It is funny, and I've kind of a lot of people have made that same joke, and I sometimes call her as well as a joke. So, yeah, it's, it's it's kind of. She's pretty cool. One, yeah. one of the one one of the I mean, you can bleep this out again as well. But one of the expressions that she always says sometimes she goes like, and I replied, actually, my name's, and that made her laugh for a while the Good. other day. Good. We'll bleep that whole thing and let the listeners wonder forever. But I'll just tell everybody, it's really sweet and charming and funny, and you missed out, and it's one of those small moments I only only I get to have on the show, and I'm sorry about that. I'll let you all wonder. But listen, yeah. we, only, we have 20 seconds left. Your dad's here. He's been worried about you. Go give him a hug and please give your girlfriend a hug. And I got to say, I'm so, uh, never, I didn't know that we'd be talking again, let alone about this. I'm just so happy you're okay. And I'm so happy you're alive. Thank you. I, I, mean, I, I am too. Um, there were times when I was really scared that I wouldn't make it. Um, I think one of the scariest things to be told when you're only 27 is there's nothing more we can do for you. You're going to go home and good luck. And, you know, and like I said, I'm only 27 and that's not something you ever want to hear. I mean, at any age, but let alone, you know, I'm, my life is still starting, you know, in a way. And um, I think my visions of most people wait a minimum six months for a liver transplant, if not, two years and to get one after five days is I don't I honestly don't know how that happened but I'm so lucky um and I can never take that for granted because I know that there are people who are incredibly ill who are still waiting for a a transplant and um I just happen to be one of the lucky ones but that doesn't take away from like how stressful it is for a lot of people who are going through this. Wow. And um, being on the ward with like so many other people. And you know, there was one woman who was next to me who was told she couldn't even have a transplant um, because she wasn't healthy enough. 
And so you see these people around you come and go when you're in hospital for a long time and you do wonder and hope that they're doing okay. And I often think about the people who I spoke to on those wards and wish they're doing okay. You know, I'll never get to know, but I, I do think of them quite often. Um, and I, I will never, like I said, I, I, again, I will stress that I will never take for granted how lucky I have been and how fortunate I was to get the transplant when I did. It makes me quite emotional. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I'm glad it happened. I can't wait to see what you do with this, uh, with this next chapter. And uh, what a story. Thanks for, thanks for telling that. No, go, go let your dad know you're okay. The man's been worried. Okay, I will. Thank you, Chris. To our callers, I won't even say caller anymore. To my old friend, Fat Squirrel. To Fat Squirrel's Irish girlfriend. Uh, what a year. I hope you never have a year like this again. I hope, you're, I hope your love only continues to strengthen in the face of this and get you through so much. Fat Squirrel, I hope you heal up soon and that you're walking and that... And, and bouncing back, I hope right now, as I'm recording this outro, I hope you and your, your dad are connecting as hard as you've ever connected in your life. I, I just wish the best. Thank God that you got through it. Thank God you both got through it. You got each other through it. Um, really, really, thank you. That call, that call was gripping. And thank you to Anita Flores produces the show. Thank you to Jared O'Connell for engineering the show. Thank you to Marcus Hom for assisting in that process. Our theme song is by Shell Shag. If you want to know more about me, including my live dates, which I have a lot of live beautiful anonymous tapes coming up this year, chrisgeth.com. Links to tickets for all of those. Hey, wherever you're listening, there's a button that says subscribe or favorite or follow, some version of that. And when you push that button, it helps the show so much. So please do. If you want merch, podswag.com has everything you need. Mugs, shirts, posters, a whole lot more. Plus, if you want episodes of Beautiful Anonymous, our entire back catalog without any ads in it at all, as well as ad free back catalogs on dozens and dozens of your favorite shows, go to Stitcher Premium. Use the promo code STORIES for one month free. Stitcher.com slash premium. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>